0: The views expressed in this program are those of the participants, and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Rust. That's right, Captain. High levels of ferric oxide. Corroded iron particles.
1: Would you mind telling me how iron could rust in space without oxygen?
0: I wish I could. Captain, look at this. I'm picking up traces of complex hydrocarbons in the rust. Benzene, ethylene, acetylene. That sounds like gasoline. Gasoline? It's a liquid fuel that was used centuries ago on Earth. They burned it to drive internal combustion engines. How did it get out here? I'm detecting a small object. It appears to be the source of the rust and hydrocarbons.
1: Put it on screen.
0: Apparently, it is a ground vehicle from mid-20th century Earth. It's a 1936 Ford, actually. Mr. Paris. That was the manufacturing date, 1936. Ford was the name of the company that built it. Antique vehicles are a hobby of mine. (sighs) Internal combustion engine? A reciprocating piston cylinder design? Fuel source was a refined petroleum. Gasoline. So is this an early hover car? No. You're about a century too early for that. This is about one step ahead of the horse-drawn carriage.
1: Traces of potassium nitrate, ammonium, and methane back here. I think you'll find that's manure. Horse manure, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Good morning, London. It is Thursday, June 25th, 2009. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right on 94.9 FM, where we will be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right.
1: Fade into colour, colour into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright.
2: And welcome to the show today where 519-661-3600 is a number you can call if you want to have a comment in on today's subject matters. We'll be talking today. I will demonstrate for you why bad laws are caused by bad politicians. I'm going to demonstrate for you why politicians want you to be uncomfortable and inconvenienced, and they want you to shiver and sweat in your car. I want to demonstrate for you with unequivocal proof that idling by laws are really about a poll propaganda campaign nothing more idling is a completely side issue and of course we'll be talking about gas and horse manure the greenhouse gases of the green movement that i was able to find an audio excerpt that mentioned both gas and horse manure in the opening of today's show is truly remarkable because no two words or terms could uh, better describe the theme of today's show pretty much gas and horse manure these words are ideal, in fact, because under less public circumstances, I might be tempted to use much stronger terms. Healthcare fascism working together with free or with green fascism. And these are no idle accusations. This past week saw London City Council once again waste their time and your tax dollars on a completely counterproductive effort, idling bylaws. In this case, reducing the already legislated five-minute limit to one minute or maybe just three, depending on how counselors may happen to feel in a given moment on a whimsical fancy at a given time. And, of course, they've framed this whole issue as educate or legislate and uh, making it sound like that's the two sides of the debate when, really, they're both part of the same strategy, which I will demonstrate for you shortly. Now, if I were to tell you that I have direct evidence of a fraud representing just the abject waste of millions of tax dollars specifically health care tax dollars, being perpetrated upon you, if I were to tell you that this fraud is knowingly perpetrated and actually admitted to, if I were to tell you that idling bylaws were at the very center of this fraud, how many of you might think that such a story would be worthy of news coverage? Personally, I think it's one of the biggest stories out there today, and I've personally undertaken an effort to bring this story to the attention of the city and media alike As far as I've seen so far, with uh, yet another vote to be taken on the issue of idling this coming Monday night, apparently 100% of our local news media do not consider such a story to be something the average guy might be interested in. Not newsworthy apparently. As to the fraud itself, I'll get to that in about 10 or 15 minutes or so, but before I proceed to expose this fraud, and you'll you'll be able to look it up yourself online, I'm going to give you all the references you need. I think first we need a bit of a philosophy lesson to understand why the media itself is so oblivious to what I would call outright criminality, (laughs) uh, motivations of so many of our politicians and, and government officials, and why you likely won't be reading about it in your newspapers or hearing about it in the establishment media. And as always, it always comes down to philosophy, metaphysics and epistemology, or in other words, reality and reason, or in other words, the evasion of those two things. These are precisely the two elements missing from the whole idling debate. And they are the determinant of which side in the debate is right and which side is left, which, of course, is the the political euphemism for wrong. And remember, as opposed to the true right and true left, the vast majority of right-wingers are on the left. They think like lefties, and this is caused by their epistemology. And as a consequence, are unable to resist The left, politically. That's why the left wins every time. And we'll see a clear demonstration once again of why so many who call themselves right-wing, and why I go out of my way to not call myself that, are so often left of the lefties. And if ever you know, there were a clearer, simpler, and easy-to-understand example of a philosophical meltdown at the core of our politicians' thinking, and most of the media's thinking, the seemingly trivial issue of idling is about as perfect an, an example as I've ever run across. Now, I got into this uh, whole debate personally over the past week. I'll get into that momentarily. But it started basically last week when um, I was part of a bunch of people speaking on an open line talk show on over at CJBK AM, which by the way was the only station to hear me out on what I'm going to be telling you today. But last week a number of uh, city councillors were on Andy Utman's show and they were talking about the idling bylaws. And among them, I'm, you know, you may think, you know, I've been a big fan of Paul Van Meerbergen and, and, and a min- number of the people I'll be criticizing today, <laughs> But they're just losing this case. If they're supposed to be on the side of being against it, they're just not giving the right arguments. And they might be giving facts and truths, but nothing that speaks to the argument itself. Uh, Paul Van Meerbergen talks about, he looked up on the Canadian Vehicle Manufacturers Association website, that apparently if you drive a new SUV from Ottawa to Vancouver and back again, that creates fewer smog-causing emissions than painting a room with a gallon of water-based paint. And he stressed how, that shows how clean today's cars are, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So he says, you, you know, so our cars are clean. We don't need um, uh, by I- idling bylaws. He says, what we should do is get the old clunkers off the road. That's the way to tackle the problems, or, or the problem. We should go to the province and to the federal governments through some kind of incentive program. I'm going, Paul, what are you doing? You want the government involved on, you know, incentivizing people out of their cars? That just doesn't make sense. And, of course, Udman comes back with, well, that's a totally biased source. Uh, you know, Because if you c- quote the Canadian Vehicle Manufacturers Association website about anything to do with cars, that's biased. Which is, I've always found a secondary word for uh, meaning informed and knowledgeable. Because generally the people who know something about something are the people who are working in that industry. If you want to know about plumbing, you talk to a plumber, not to the regulator who's regulating the plumber. You know what I mean? But... Um, Basically, you know, Udman says, well, if you're to put a pipe in the tail, or, or yeah, put a pipe fr- or take a pipe from the tailpipe of any car, he says, let's say brand new, and you put a bag on it, right, and you put an animal in the bag, how long do you think it'll take to kill the animal? And I'm thinking, that's a complete disconnect question. And uh, Van Meerbergen responds, and he, you know, he says, well, if you put paint in the bag, I guess what we're saying is the animal in the bag will die quicker with the paint than with the pollutants coming out of their car. And uh, they got into this whole debate that was just meaningless about whether an animal would die in a bag stuck to a tailpipe of a car, whether that bag was full of paint or other poisons like carbon monoxide. But uh, just to show you how they get totally off, totally off of, of base. But anyways, they got into this debate, and um, Van Meerbergen points out, quote, our staff agreed last night that today's cars are becoming so clean... And with battery-powered cars and hybrids and fuel cars, or fuel cells and all the rest of it, they'll just get cleaner and cleaner. Are we really going the right way? So there's the first clue. Everyone seems to, if the staff agrees that you know, cars are becoming clean and battery-powered cars are coming and hybrids are coming, why all this fuss about bylaws? Well, are you going to be surprised when you hear why? And uh, so, of course, he objects to the $50 ticket, etc., because... Uh, Apparently, they're only going to be going after people on cold winter days who are waiting for their kids outside schools and that kind of thing. And then, Udman says something funny to Paul. He says, You know, he says, the way that Paul Van Meerbergen is wired, he says, You're one of those people that resent Big Brother telling Little Brother what to do. To which, uh, pa- Paul Van Meerbergen said something very correct. And he said, Big Brother telling free people, thinking minds, what to do. He says, that's correct. That's what's happening. And he says, every time, we, you know, we go to a meeting and there's some new initiative and our local government comes cracking down on us as a big brother, some people call that the nanny state. And uh, so Udman says, well, so you just basically resent authority, period. Right. That's the whole premise from right where you're coming from. Uh, you're just one of those people who wants to idle your car, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, then he talks about how, you know, you and I and all our neighbors breathe that air. Do we not have a right to say to folks, listen, you can drive your car, but if you're just going to sit there and let your car idle for five or ten minutes, you're poisoning the air that I breathe so that I have the right to tell you not to do that. And, uh, you know, Van Meerbergen kind of avoids the question, goes economic on him and says, well, you know, with today's price of fuel, who in their right mind is going to leave their car idling longer than necessary? Well, that may be true but didn't speak to Andy's point. Does Andy have the right to tell you not to idle your car if he can argue that that stuff is polluting? And, um, and we're talking about idling here, okay? And shutting off your car for a short periods of time. And uh he kept going after him. He says, you know, there's these people have this anti-authority mentality that says, nobody's going to tell me what to do, and they just want to idle their car. He says he sees it all the time, leaving a car idling for no reason. Now, I know when you see somebody else sitting there idling, you're thinking they've got no reason because you're thinking of yourself. That's a self You know, you don't know what that person's reason is out there for idling the car. You can't possibly know. You don't know if they're waiting for a child in in, in a building. You don't know if they're sick. You don't know if they're they're very uncomfortable or if they need the car running for some other reason. You just have no way of knowing what their reason is. And to just judge from a distance and say, oh, that person's doing whatever he's doing for no reason is completely nonsensical because nobody does anything without a reason what he's really saying is that person's idling his car and I disagree with it and I want the power to stop him. End of story. And, uh, you know, Van Meerbergen again responds. He tells uh, Andy how well we've had these five minute anti-idling bylaws for 10 years and we've only had five charges. And, um, you know, and they talk about the enforcement of it. And apparently if you put up the, the anti-idling time to a minute, maybe you'll get more charges out of everybody. And, uh, Then Van Meerbergen says, you know, the way to attack this is not through this increased bludgeoning of regulation. The way to attack it is to go after these old vehicles and get them off the road, because they're the ones causing the bulk of pollution. Now, there, Paul, that's one of the few times I've really caught him going really hyperbolic. I don't even think that's true. And I don't think that, um, you know, that pollution is being caused by all these old vehicles on the road. And, uh but anyways, another, um that was the end of that conversation. And it was really funny, a caller named John called in and told uh, Andy that he uses more red herrings than a straw man. And he said that if you put your head in a bag of water, that you would die in a few minutes. Do you want to ban water? And he talked about how specious the arguments were. And that uh, he just said, you know, shame on you, Andy, for using that kind of argument. And uh then I got on the air, and I just pointed out that, Most of the poisons that come out of your car happen in the first few minutes after you start it. And Andy Newton says to me, yeah, that's right. And I get that all the time. You know, you can tell people, well, that's when the most pollution is, and they'll agree with you. They'll carry on telling you why they want to stop you making less pollution to make more for this religion of anti-idling they're into. And so that's what I ask. I said, why is everybody talking about shutting off and not idling? I don't even get it, I said, you know. Um... Why would you want to do something that you know harms the environment? And so, uh, you know, then, then we hear from Steve Orser, who calls in, and he talks about, you know, he respects Paul Van Meerbergen but he says, when you take something off the Internet, you have to question it most times. Like you said earlier, they have a biased opinion. I could get on the inter- Internet right now with the ID Robert De Niro. Are you going to believe it? Uh, and, oh my goodness, that is a totally non-sequitur argument. First of all, if someone has a biased opinion, it doesn't tell you whether it's true or not, or whether it's valid or not, or whether it matches with reality. I have a lot, I have a lot of biased opinions. Every one of my opinions is biased, but I happen to think it coincides with reality. So I've got something to check it against. And um, then he tells a story, uh, Orser tells a story about some nasty person who's revving his engine, again, quote, for no particular reason, and who treated him badly when he tried to intervene. Now, even if Orster used his real name on the internet or on live radio, I think his uh, credibility is quite near zero on an, any issue approaching philosophy or understanding broader economic, social, scientific, or political issues. Then we had, then they had a few callers about traffic flow, red lights, and um, one person interestingly brought up the issue. Well, what's the big deal about old cars if they're getting emission tests all the time? They're passing them, right? So... And then again, it was admitted by everyone that most cars pass emission tests. In fact, they're even saying that there may be no purpose in them anymore. So, uh, you know, getting the public all wound up about the list of 26 exemptions to the bylaw or about whether the idling limit should be five minutes, three minutes, or one minute is exactly what the whole bunch at City Hall wants you to do. It's a complete distraction from what they are truly after. And um, even better for the politicians and bureaucrats, by telling us that they oppose the restrictive limits or that they prefer education to legislation, they're actually pushing their real objective to get at millions of your precious health care dollars. We're going to take a break right now, and when we come back right after this break, we will continue with what the actual um, fraud is. And we'll be back right after this break.
0: Let's run a metallurgical analysis of the vehicle. (laughs) There's still oil in the crankcase, water in the radiator. I wonder if the battery's still charged. Now, let's see. This is before voice command activation, so... there should be something in here called a key. Key. What are you doing? Trying to bring this beauty back to life. Now, where are the keys? Uh Aha! Here they are. Okay. Choke out. Clutch in, give her a little gas, turn the key, and step on the starter. Sorry.
1: Next time,
0: you might give us a little warning, Mr. Paris.
3: Aye, Captain. I suggest we increase the ventilation in the cargo bay before we are asphyxiated.
1: The new anti-idling bylaw for London has stalled yet again. A city council committee failed to agree tonight on a staff proposal to limit idling car engines to one minute, down from the current five minutes. Brian Bicknell is live in South London and joins us to explain. Brian.
4: Well, Tara, after several members of the public weighed in on this issue, council's Environment and Transportation Committee was deadlocked at 2 to 2 on reducing the maximum idle time to just one minute. About thirty people were on hand as environmentalists concerned citizens, even members of the freedom Party took to the podium to have their say, though there were a couple of calls to scrap the bylaw altogether, the overwhelming majority of delegations spoke in favor of reducing the one minute proposal under a new bylaw enforcement under a new bylaw enforcement would be beefed up through blitzes, and violators would be handed fifty dollar tickets. One councillor says the proposed bylaw goes after the wrong people, but health officials say every small step helps improve the air we breathe.
0: It's not just carbon monoxide; it's all of the other uh, chemicals that uh, come from uh, transport, transportation vehicle uh, exhausts. Uh, a lot of uh, issues uh, for people who have respiratory illness, uh, asthma and emphysema and chronic obstructive lung disease, as well as cardiovascular impacts on those. Uh, who have uh, those kinds of conditions so it really exacerbates or makes worse their already underlying health conditions.
1: I don't see um, this kind of legislation as being helpful. I think education is the answer to this this whole dilemma without going after parents. Um, seniors that are going to the hospital are dropping people off at daycare and they can't turn their car. There's so many situations that are unique but we're gonna blanket it all and say one minute you're out of here. And I think that's wrong.
4: And the committee also wants to know where the province stands on this issue. They're recommending that local MPPs be invited to a future Board of Control meeting to, to discuss any plans that the province might have to reduce idle times and to get some of the older cars off the road, which are said to emit more toxic emissions. The issue goes back to council one week from tonight. Tell. And you're going to
1: be there. Thanks you a bet. lot, Brian.
2: That was from last week's A channel broadcast on this past Monday, actually, on the idling bylaw. London Free Press did an article on the same night, uh, about the same night, at the same meeting, had a little bit of a different spin on it. And in his article by in the ar- article by Jonathan Share on June twenty third, Free Press, uh, he notes that uh, Controller Gina Barber, Councillor Judy Bryant, pushed for measures backed by health and environmental. Officials that would make London's bylaw among the toughest in Ontario and limit idling to one minute—that's incorrect. Um, they weren't backed by the health and environmental officials. The health and environmental officials are the leaders of this thing. They're following the health and environmental officials. Uh, um, Jonathan Chair has that exactly backwards. Um, and then, of course, they have a tie vote, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and he pretty well says um, the same things you just heard on that A Channel broadcast. And then, interestingly, here. City staff want to cut idling time to one minute, a federally recommended time frame for balancing pollution reduction and global ti- uh, climate change. So that's coming from, I guess, the Conservative government of Canada, is it? Is that where all this is coming from? It's actually coming from the UN, above that, but that's, that's, that's a story for another day. And then they talk about how Um, Someone, Shane O'Neill of Post Carbon London, says the atmosphere is killing the roots, I guess, of the trees we have in the city, and it's going to threaten the name Forest City. Then here's another interesting point. Quote, and this is from Jonathan Sher's article. But another participant argued the proposed bylaw stifles intelligent debate, saying there's no evidence linking idling with health problems. You can't penalize someone for thinking rationally, Dave Dernan said. Now, what's interesting about this, this is again another inaccuracy. It's true that Dave Dernan said that, it's true that he made all that point, but what it didn't say is that Dave Dernan is with Freedom Party, and Freedom Party basically took up about 20% of the people that were there and was not even mentioned once in the London Free Press because they go out of their way to not mention us. Ironically, A Channel mentions Freedom Party, not the name of the speaker, the free press mentions a speaker and not the name of Freedom Party. That goes back to our own history with, uh, with me. They don't like me very much or something. I don't know what that's about. And then another person, uh, K- King Abel, says he's convinced of the link between idling and, uh, um, you know, I don't know what the link of what. He says his wife has multiple sclerosis, and his wife has a doctor's note that would exempt her from an idling bylaw, but he wants tougher limits, and he says it's a no-brainer. So he wants people... To turn their cars off, turn them on, create more pollution so that his wife with multiple sclerosis will feel better? Hmm. Anyways, and the other thing is um, this is something you should know too. One of the things that they're bringing in with this bylaw is they're going to diminish exemptions based on temperature. The bylaw now exempts motorists when, in, you know, if it's above 27 or below 5 degrees uh, centigrade, while the bylaw proposed by Stanford would only allow exemptions when the medical officer of health issues a heat or cold alert. And again, those are the guys running the show. So let's see what the real issue is with this whole idling issue. You know, with municipal spending and property tax increases spiraling out of control while the economy falters and unemployment rises. Placing idling bylaws high on the municipal political agenda may seem trivial, to say the least. However, what's really at stake in the idling debate is millions of dollars in government spending, specifically health care dollars, on posters, on signs, on radio ads, and other means of propaganda promoting objectively unsupportable assertions. you think this is an idle accusation? by no means. See for yourself. I've got the link here, but it would be a lot easier for you to do a Google search and go to the website of Natural Resources Canada and look up a case study, and it's called Case Study, Implementing an Idling Control By-Law in London, Ontario. And uh, I went to this site, and it was brought to my attention, actually, and I basically summarized 16 broad things that were written in that case study. And remember, this is from Natural Resources Canada. I didn't write this. I'm just the messenger. So here are the points. Now, first of all, that's the first point, that this is the name of the study, Natural Resources Canada. The other things you will learn are these. Number two, that the report identifies only four stakeholders in the pursuit of anti-idling bylaws. They are, one, city staff, Two city councillors, three, a community advisory group was not identified, but it's on the environment, and four, the Middlesex-London Health Unit. Three, that there is no evidence and, quote, little published material to, quote, link health benefits to idling control bylaws. Okay, so here's the government... Natural Resources Canada saying that there is no evidence and little published material to link health benefits to idling control bylaws. So they have none. Number four, it tells us that scientific journals indicate, quote, that the first few minutes after starting a vehicle accounts for 80% of pollution from cars equipped with converters. So they've even admitted that. They admit that when you turn your car on and off and on and off, you're... Just polluting like crazy. That's when all the crap comes out of, your, out of your tailpipe is in those first few minutes. I've talked about that at length on this show, explaining the mechanics of it. Uh, b- actually told to, this, to the city by the guy who, who's basically responsible for setting all the pollution standards in the country and building the engines and, and setting those standards. And uh, the fifth thing, they went to a lot of trouble to disprove that the thing I just said, number four, that 80% of pollution from cars comes in the first few minutes, but they couldn't find, quote, any helpful research results, end quote. Number six, that London already has had an anti-idling bylaw since 1999, passed due to, quote, three air quality alerts in the spring and summer of 99. So we had a pretty bad uh, weather that year, and politicians panicked. It was the end of the world, and they had to give us a law that we have to live with now for the rest of our lives. Number seven, that the London Middlesex Health Unit, in 1997, identified, quote, air air contaminants from the Ohio Valley as being the major identified cause quote, negatively affecting air quality in the Windsor to Quebec corridor, end quote. So they know that the pollution problem we have is when the air contaminants from the Ohio Valley come up. And here's an interesting thing to admit under point number eight, that there are quote, two key barriers to implementing the bylaw. A, a lack of empirical evidence, <laughs> this is them writing it, citing the concern about the scientific reality, quote, related to vehicle cold starts. In other words, what we're saying totally contradicts everything science tells us. And B, skepticism regarding the bylaws' impact, citing the fact that such bylaws in London, Ontario, cannot really affect air contaminants coming in from the Ohio Valley, end quote. So they even admit to that. Look at what they've admitted to here already. They know that the vehicle starts are bad and cause more pollution. They know that there is no evidence linking health benefits to idling control bylaws. They know that the pollution is coming from Ohio, not from here. They know there's a lack of empirical evidence. They know all this. So what do they say? Number nine. Get ready. That a propaganda campaign should be undertaken by those advocating anti-idling bylaws. Quote, even if empirical evidence is not available, develop indicators of success. Parties involved, and remember, whenever they've used that, it's a legal term. That means those four parties that they were talking about, city staff, counselors, all all politicians, basically, government. Okay, so when they say, you know, parties involved should work together to emphasize that the success of the bylaw depends on effective promotion and public education. Successful. Done. Done if you just stick a sign up. That's success, and they're going to spend health care tax dollars on this. I'm telling you lies. Number ten, that the propaganda campaign called a communications plan, quote, will include A, communications with municipal staff, B, no idling signs, C, posters and literature to be distributed to key organizations, such as Daycare centers. Of course, they don't want you idling outside the daycare center, so they're going to be putting big posters, and they'll say, look at the success of our anti-idling bylaws and how how much we're doing for your health care. And D, billboards. And E, 30-second radio spots written by the health unit communications manager. There you go. There's the scam. Now, number 11, that since there is no direct evidence supporting an idling ban, quote, communications initiatives should be within the context of the broader issue of air quality so let's not talk about idling let's talk about all that feel good stuff and we'll spend all this money and we'll tell and we'll, we'll find people for idling and number 12 the report notes that in a completely quote new and unique role the Middlesex London health unit is playing the lead role in implementing and enforcing the idling bylaw, So I didn't make that up. There it is. There's the leader. There is the leader. The Middlesex London Health Unit. Middlesex London Health Unit. Number 13. This one's going to affect me and maybe a lot of you. That those who don't buy into the propaganda or, or who happen to think for themselves, those are my words, will be punished. Now, these are their words. Quote, Enforcement will be linked with education. In time... Tickets will be issued, end quote. So enforcement is step one, tickets step two. Part of the same plan. Education, step one, which means propaganda, because, y- y- you know, you want to tell somebody to believe something, that the sky is pink with butterflies in it, and they don't believe that. You've got to educate them, don't you know that? And uh, then they say, number 15, oh, sorry, number 14, that... Citizen policing of other citizens can be made in the form of complaints directly to the health unit, quote, while fleet operators will be, quote, encouraged to initiate idling policies. Number 15, that the four stakeholders must work together on these propaganda campaigns or, quote, progress on the larger issue of environmental protection may never happen. Oh, my. And number 16, that much-needed health care dollars are the specific dollars that will be spent on broad environmental and green campaigns. Quote, enforcing a bylaw requires resources. When they say resources, that means money. That means your tax dollars. When the health unit accepted responsibility for enforcement, this removed a possible barrier. Namely, health care dollars. That's why the city wants it. They're getting money from the health care system. And that's basically the main point. Now, in placing its desired consequence before cause, the report cites the law itself as justification for the law. Get this, quote, Having a bylaw gives the issue of excessive vehicle idling more credibility, end quote. (laughs) It's absolutely outrageously obscene. Welcome to Big Brother in the Nanny State. Two benign-sounding terms actually meaning fascism. You know, the whole thing is about uh, a bigger picture, too. It's all about socializing our transportation system, and that's the, the bigger picture. This is only part one, by the way, today. I'm not going to get to everything, but we're going to take a break at the bottom of the hour right now for, I think, time for a little bit of a smile because we might not be able to sing songs like this anymore. Uh, this is a really brilliant, brilliant little comedic clip about uh, 98 car brands uh, done by Todd Butler, a comic, who, who's going to tell you about the ballad of Savannah Isuzu. And we'll be back.
5: So I was driving along one day, and uh, I pulled up behind this car, and it was called a Probe. <laughs> That's what I thought. It's a funny name for a car, Probe. Anybody driving one of these? <laughs> and so I started looking at all the different names of vehicles, and I decided to try and put them all into a little story. And I ended up with 98 car names in this story, and see if you can spot yours. It goes like this. It all started when I took a job as a private investigator specializing in locating people. Yeah, yeah, the firm was called Pathfinder. My first job, my my quest, if you will, was to focus on this regal viper and tracker on her latest excursion from Tacoma to Dakota via Montana. (laughs) Safari as I could tell. This swift little trooper's expedition had left the Tahoe of Maxima Heartache from Park Avenue to Silverado. <laughs> her name was Savannah Isuzu. <laughs> yeah, and I was bentley on finding her no matter how Ferrari I honed to go to do it. Besides, this little venture was my passport to the Ultima Gulf Odyssey. And <laughs> I wasn't about to pass that up. (laughs) So I finally saw her in her undowned bar in Gimli. (laughs) Seducing her was integra to my plan, so not wanting to appear jeep, I ordered some Lamborghini and sat her next to her. (laughs) She was having the Mitsubishi. Audi! Proper greeting in Gimli. Been looking forward to meeting you. Jimmy Durango is the name, but my friends call me Intrepid. What's your sign, I asked? Taurus. Well, I was getting the vibe, so I had to explore her right then, ladies and gentlemen. So I slid my hand onto her neon under the sable. <laughs> I'm taking Vitara. <laughs> I boasted trying to impress her. She She seemed intrigued by my mystique. <laughs> Camaro. <laughs> she growled, so being as cavalier as I could I leaned toward her expecting a kiss, but she dodged at the last minute and I rammed my face into the back of her chair. <laughs> that must sting. <laughs> she growled, then she leaned over and whispered in my ear, Jetta life, Durango. <laughs> I knew right then a Hummer was out of the question. Mistaking you for somebody looking for a buick chevrolet <laughs> you obviously don't know what you're missing <laughs> i could feel her mercury rising <laughs> lexus get one thing straight durango if you're lincoln you can just rolls royce in here and get me lotus and probe my volvo all in your mind ladies and gentlemen it's all in your mind you got another thing coming pontiac <laughs> obviously she was no porsche over <laughs> i i had my pride Hyundai i wasn't about the legacy my embarrassment <laughs> toyota have the doorman throw you out she laughed but i cadillac you Well, my low self-esteem seemed to echo through the bar, but it was but a prelude to the insight I gained when she Volkswagen vanished like a mirage on the breeze. (laughs) You go! (laughs) I shouted, Chrysler, she's good, I thought. (laughs) Well, I suffered from Sonoma that night, ladies and gentlemen. A night that went on for infinity. When morning came, it felt like a century had passed. I knew my days as a pathfinder were over. She sent for that. I'll never find a cure for the heartache she caused me. And Dai Wu the day. I ever heard the name, Savannah Isuzu.
2: CHRW 94.9 FM. And now we'll be shivering and sweating along with Cheryl Miller, I guess. Uh, Apparently that's what she wants us to do. She was saying on CJBK again the other day when I was on just after her that she says, uh, quote, I've always believed you need to educate before you legislate. So she does believe in legislation, just education first. And sometimes she says it's really difficult to legislate common sense. But it's so much easier to teach common sense, she says. Now personally... I don't think you can teach common sense. Common sense is a self-acquired virtue and you can't impart it from one person to another. One thing I've learned is no amount of information shoved into a person's head will ever produce common sense. Anyone with common sense knows that implicitly and that everyone with common sense would know that everything Cheryl Miller was saying about this was just very uncommon sense. Um, it is on its face, never mind what we already know about who's really driving this whole fraudulent campaign. But she talks about shutting your car off, and she says, oh, don't park in fire lanes. Well, no, a fire lane has nothing to do with idling. It's a separate issue. But she's talking about leaving the car running while someone runs in. Those are the kind of things that you can, you know, really quite easy to change. But changing behavior, you have to educate them, she says. So we seem to think the only way we can do it is to legislate the fine, and she doesn't agree with that, she says. Yes, she does agree with that. She just finished saying you need to educate before you legislate. I transcribed this. She... contradicts yourself every other sentence. You know, to quote her sentence made only two sentences earlier. And my mind just turns to mush when I'm forced to listen to Cheryl Miller, but I'm going to force you to share my pain so you can better understand how your so-called representatives in government are either pulling the wool over your eyes or have the wool pulled over their own eyes. Either way, you're the victim. And, you know, she talks about all these other issues. She says, when you look at the fact that it's only less than 2% in terms of what eiling is supposed to contribute, there are other issues, too. So she immediately avoids the fact, after raising it, turns to other issues. In philosophy, we call this uh, evading reality, which is why I keep coming back to this point. And then she says, we've got to go after the root cause, which is the automobile manufacturer. I'm going, what is that? manufacturers have nothing to do with bad behavior. How can the cars they make be okay while in motion, but evil while idling? I don't get that kind of, you know, is it their fault? In philosophy, this is referred to as a false epistemology, or in other words, a false reasoning, a non sequitur. This is the very stuff of which leftist thinking is made of. And then she talks about cars that that are on the road that currently don't meet standards. Well, those cars would have to be unlicensed, illegal cars, given Ontario's unnecessary emission test, wouldn't they? What, what? Where are these cars that she's talking about? And so, of course, uh, she gets asked, well, what do you do with people who think they can do whatever they like, blah, blah, blah? And get this story. She says she, passed, she knows she passed on the window of a person who was parked on the side of a fire lane in front of one of the grocery stores, and then she says to that person, quote, You know, my grandson and I are shopping here, and did you know that you're not to let your car idle? Again, another non-sequitur. I don't know what her grandson has to do with the fact that you can or cannot idle your car. Moreover, it is legal to idle your car for up to five minutes, which is also irrelevant but speaks to yet another untruth in Miller's argument with a driver. Unless she was sitting there timing them, she didn't say that. But the person says to her, Yeah, but I get too hot. And Miller says to the person, "Well, just roll down your window, roll your window down, and I don't think you're going to be long. Go into the grocery store. It's cooler. The walk will do you good." I think that sometimes you have to shame people," says Miller to the to uh, um, the Scott Kitching on the radio. "I'm thinking, my goodness, if she came up to me at my window while I'm sitting there with a the fan blowing on myself and tries to shame me, I'll tell you, she'd be the one walking away shame, not me. Not this is so." This, this is just this is shameful what she's done here and that she's bragging about, and she says I don't think a fifty-dollar ticket's going to change anybody's behavior. Yes, you do. You're going to support the law. You, education first, right? First, you tell them about the fifty dollars, and then she talks about how it hasn't worked on speeding and on drinking and driving, which are entirely different kinds of things. Again, removed from any rational discussion of idling, drinking and driving are criminal offenses. Speeding is a judgment call, and police routinely ignore most speeders. Uh, at least those traveling above a posted speed limit but they do go after excessive speeders including those who may be going under the speed limit in poor weather conditions So even that's a, a non sequitur then Miller says that the other side of the issue that permeates it again avoiding the discussion of every point she keeps raising she says that each municipality is putting together some kind of anti idling bylaws all of them are doing this isn't that interesting and uh, she said it's very similar to the smoking thing and to the pesticide bylaws, which, of course, are all run by the same people. And then she talked about how they spent so much time idling at council because the province went and took over all the things that they were doing, etc., uh, etc., Then she says uh, she wants to reinforce in people's minds. Educate, educate, educate. How do you think we learn things in this society? We change our behavior not by fining people. That makes people angry, she says. So, you know, the average person listening to that would say, well, yeah, she sounds like she's on side. But no, she's not. Now, you know, what makes me angry is being preached to by ignorant and self-obsessed people by having my tax dollars forcibly misdirected from health care priorities to a propaganda campaign which promotes knowingly false information, knowingly disinformation and outright lies. You know, I get angry when people who pretend to be on my side are really opposing everything I know to be true, honest, and forthright. This is true of conservatives in general who have all but given the agenda to the left with their self-absorbed, contradictory, and impotent defenses of freedom and capitalism. I get angry when governments, either by force of fine or force of taxation, force me to abandon what I know to be true, what I know to be honest and forthright in their mealy-mouthed disguises of education, all the while knowing that the so-called education program is only temporary and will be followed up by fines, irrespective of, of their education lies. You know, the term government education, especially in this context, is an evil anti-concept. It, it, it's contradiction all the way. But I digress. You know, teach them, teach them, and that's what she's saying all the way through this. And then, uh, you know, she talks about uh, London being a, a, a hole in the middle of Middlesex. If we make the laws, why Middlesex should make make the laws? and, um, et cetera, et cetera, Then she acknowledges that cars are really clean today. And I, I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, didn't she just say you have to go at the root cause, which is the automobile f- manufacturer? And didn't she also say, quote, as the newer cars come on the market and people are buying them, they're not spewing out the stuff the old cars used to spew? She said both those things. You know, like they say on Sesame Street, one of these things is not like the other. Well, I'll tell you, it was a complete nightmare of contradictions, and I'm not even done with Cheryl Miller. But basically, she thinks you should shiver and sweat because of these idling bylaws. And speaking of shivering and sweating, in the next audio excerpt from Deep Space Nine entitled Paradise, it's really funny because Captain Sisko is literally forced into a sweat box as a punishment for using technology. Um, He and O'Brien have found themselves trapped in a commune run by an environmentalist leader who thinks and acts in exactly the same way as all eco-fascists think and act. Lying is all part of their strategy. When I first saw this episode back when it originally aired, I remembered thinking to myself, that's a little too far, way out, way out there. However, I realized today that the writers of that episode probably understood the green movement and philosophy right to its core. And I rate this episode as one of the most psychologically horrifying, to say nothing of the constant physical punishments going on in that show. Kind of depressing, too, but that was kind of what made it good. And on the other side of our final break today, you'll be hearing Dr. Walter Williams answer a question from an audience back in 95 about how to cope with all these United Nations mandated bad laws and the moral implications of doing so. We'll be right back.
1: You'd be surprised how many scientists are sympathetic to my philosophies.
5: Then it was no accident we developed life support problems near this planet.
1: No, we were always on our way here, Joseph. I chose it months in advance. It was far away from any trade route, completely isolated. It was perfect for our ideal community. I hoped when we landed, we would never leave here. You lied to us. You've been lying to us for ten years. Yes, but perhaps a lie can lead to a more important truth. Would any of you have learned who you really are? at the core, if you hadn't have come here. Joseph, you would have been a repairman all of your life. Cassandra, you would have been a technical clerk in some closed-in room. And Stephen, my friend, you probably would have been in prison by now. Look at yourselves. Look at what you've become. What you've achieved here has redefined your potential. The potential of man. Just as I knew it would. You are the living proof.
3: What of the dead? What of Meg and the others?
1: Only my son knows how I have suffered. As I watched each of them die.
3: You were willing to let them die for your theories. You're going to have to answer for what you've done.
1: I'm prepared to go with you. Casualties were inevitable. I had to accept that from the start.
3: What if it were your son who had been sick? Would you let him die, too?
1: Yes, for the sake of the community. I did it all for the community.
3: Yeah, I believe one of the things is to just stop the money. and I don't know m- very much about that issue. stop the money going to the United Nations if you can. And then but more importantly than that, more important than that. I tell people, or at least I suggest to people, that we're under no moral obligation. You and I, we're not under no moral obligation to obey immoral laws and unconstitutional laws. Just try to ignore them. Now, now I I might mention, I might add, that there are risks to doing that. But you just have to accept the risk. Our our founding fathers, they ignored them. I mean, uh, 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 John Hancock was a smuggler. (coughs) Many Many of the framers and the founders, they ignored the Navigation Acts. They disobeyed them because they were immoral. You have no duty to obey immoral laws. And people say, well, Williams, can you, can, you, can you decide what laws to obey? You're damn right I can decide what laws to obey. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if you were back during the 1800s when they had the Fugitive Slave Act and, and in Ohio you saw a slave that had run away, would you report him? I wouldn't because slavery is immoral. You don't have to obey any kind of laws that are immoral. And we Americans, we just have to stop being pussycats and going along with these turkeys and Washington.
2: That goes for us Canadians too. Just to wrap up, you know, Cheryl Miller acknowledged that idling vehicles aren't the problem and went on and on as to how to educate us as to the very opposite of that. Just bizarre. I'd like to direct your attention, again, to Natural Resources Canada. Look for that case study. It's called Case Study Implementing an Idling Control By-Law in London, Ontario. This is a government study. You will see it there. You'll see everything I just said right there. It's put out by them. Here's a government admitting that everything they're pushing on the idling issue is BS. They know it. They know it. They know it. They put it in print. Go check it out for yourself. Now, just to let you know, you know, it's an evasion of reality when you've already acknowledged that turning on and off your car and restarting it in a short period of time is far more damaging to the environment. It's an evasion of reason when, again, after acknowledging the former, you continue to argue that causing more pollution is is helpful to the air. I don't get that. This is not only unreasonable, it's illogical. And, you know, then there were other other people that called in on other issues. You know, somebody said uh, that this issue is just like uh, the red light cameras at Corners, where apparently um, they put these in and uh, they put out the propaganda campaigns, and they know statistically that more accidents are increased when cameras at red lights are installed. You'll hear why at the very end of this show. Alas time now forces a metaphysical conclusion to today's show and I'm going to have to leave you for this week and we're going to continue on this very subject and topic because I haven't even scratched the tip of the iceberg. Lots more people and, and ideas to identify here. But till next week we hope you'll join us again on our journey when we will continue our journey in the right direction. See you next week. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, and think Fade right. Into
1: color, color into black and white
2: under the bedclothes Everything will be alright uh, I was driving the other day I was coming up to an intersection And the light turned yellow You know what I'm talking about? got to make that big decision To go through or not to go through, right? So what do you do? You kind of judge your distance and your speed In
4: order to make that decision Finally you decide to go through But the guy in front of you decides not to go through <laughs> Yes, sir, I was going to go through Now I'm in your back seat How you doing? <laughs> You know you've gone through a yellow light too late
1: when you catch yourself looking up to watch it turn red as you go through the intersection.